Physics World. Hello and welcome to the Physics World Stories podcast. I'm Andrew Glester and in this episode we're going to be exploring the Bell Burnell Graduate Scholarship Fund. A fund set up by leading physicist Professor Dame Jocelyn Bell Burnell and the Institute of Physics to encourage greater diversity in physics by assisting PhD students from underrepresented groups. Later in the podcast, we'll hear from one of those successful PhD students who's using that fund to study stars in the Magellanic Clouds. But first, here's Professor Helen Gleeson. I'm the Cavendish Professor of Physics at the University of Leeds, um, but I hold roles within the Institute of Physics as well. Um, I'm the chair of the Bell Burnell Graduate Scholarship Fund, and I'm also um, the Institute's um, representative to council for inclusion and diversity and that means I do things like chair um, the inclusion and diversity committee for the institute of physics at the moment the Belbinal graduate fund graduate scholarship fund to give it its full title um, was it's a fund that supports um, students who are minority students in physics um, to either study or complete their phd so the fund was was established when jocelyn Belbinal um, won the, the Breakthrough Prize um, in 2018. She won $3 million. She gave that to the Institute of Physics, all of it, instead of giving it to her family, she gave it to the Institute of Physics. And um, she specifically wanted to improve um, diversity in physics, that she's, she's on record many times for saying how important it is to us. And, and, and of course, I fully agree uh, as a community to have better diversity. And um, so she she gave this uh, money to them to set up this fund um, to support people who wouldn't otherwise have been able to do um, postgraduate study or complete postgraduate study uh, in physics um, to, to, to be able to do so. Um, I got us to chair that the, the, the group that looks after giving that money out. Um, and so as part of that role, I've been doing that since 2019. We've had four cohorts through and as part of that role, what we needed to do um, as, a, as a group, as a committee, was to work out actually how we could um, how we could do that, how we could fairly and transparently um, give away Jocelyn's money. Before we get into the practicalities of how the fund is allocated, in case you don't know, Jocelyn Belbonell is an astrophysicist from Northern Ireland whose work as a postgraduate student at Cambridge's Cavendish Laboratory led to the discovery of pulsars in 1967. A pulsar is a highly magnetised rotating neutron star that emits beams of electromagnetic radiation out of its magnetic poles. Because the emission is seen as a series of regular pulses, Bell Burnell and her supervisor, Anthony Hewish, nicknamed the first signal as Little Green Man, or LGM-1. That breakthrough was recognised in the 1974 Nobel Prize in Physics. But as many of you will know, Bell Burnell was infamously overlooked, with the prize going to Hewish and the English radio astronomer Martin Ryle. The snub never deterred Bell Burnell, and she went on to have a very successful career in astrophysics, and has always worked tirelessly to promote diversity in physics. The special breakthrough prize that she won in 2018 recognised Bell Burnell's scientific contributions and her inspiring leadership in the scientific community. Here's a short clip of Jocelyn Belbonell speaking to the Physics World Weekly podcast back in 2019, describing her motivations for setting up the fund. The plan is to increase diversity in physics departments in the UK and Ireland, because the IOP covers both the UK and Ireland. 
Um, I do believe that diversity strengthens a place. Um, there are echoes of my own PhD studentship there because I turned up in Cambridge um, to be one of the few women and one of the few people who wasn't from the south of England. And it felt quite alien uh, and I wasn't sure I was going to make the grade and was working very hard. And that's really how the discovery of pulsars came about. So I have this maybe vain hope that by increasing the diversity in physics departments, there'll be more people who are feeling a bit unconventional, um, out of the normal mould, working like the clappers, thinking a little differently and maybe finding things. The first thing that we needed to do was to, to understand uh, what, what was meant by the minority groups in physics. Okay, and that was that was fine because that had been defined um, as part of the gift and, and setting up the, the the fund. I think then the next challenge was to think about what that actually meant in terms of um, supporting people who wouldn't otherwise have been able to um, to do their PhDs. So we came up with with two kinds of award. One we call a top up award, and that can be an amount um, up to ten thousand um, pounds, where somebody has hit something that's um, really um, putting the completion of their PhD at risk. Okay, this could be um, a health issue, it could be um, a childcare issue, um, it could be a whole range of different things. And, and of course, there are things in place in universities and the research councils for many of these things, but not all of them. And so that's the first kind of cohort that um, we can support, where, where, things, uh, where people just need that additional, additional bit of funding. The second um, kind of award we make is, is um, a co-funded full award for someone to do their PhD. So it's a full scholarship. It's a fully funded scholarship. And we give something like half of the funds for that. And um, we decided that we wanted the institution um, to give the other half. OK, and the reason for that was twofold. One was to make money go further so we could actually um, fund more people. Um, but the second was to make sure that they had um, really invested in in what we're, what it is we're trying to do. And, you know, I think if you just give money away, um, it's easy to just receive it. Um, but on the other hand, if you've co-invested in something, then uh, there's a different feel to what it is um, that, that we're trying to achieve. So that was one of the, the criteria we came up with. The other that we decided... Um, you know, we, we, we want people to be recommended to us for, for these awards by the universities. And that's, um, you know, there are all sorts of complicated reasons for that. But the simplest one is that we didn't want to be making the judgment about whether or not somebody was right to do a PhD with a particular supervisor. You know, it's important that judgment is made by that by the individuals concerned and it's a funding decision um, at, at that point. Um, the, the other thing, though, is that we were very clear that we wouldn't, we didn't want a ranked list, okay? So we do not distinguish between BSc and, and MPhys, and we do that deliberately because we know that there are people who um, just simply can't afford to do a PA, um, an MPhys, right? You know, they don't have... 
parental backing, the student loans, as we know, particularly in this cost of crisis, cost of living crisis, um, may, may not be enough on their own. Um, so that's the first thing. We, we know that there, there are people who choose to do a BSc um, for all sorts of reasons. And one of our minority groups, you know, are people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, the, the other um, reason we don't want to go down, um, we, we don't, so we, we, we want to hear about people's academic um, achievements, um, but we don't rank them. We, we, we look at them, we try to look at them um, in, in the whole, um, because we also know that some people don't do as well as they might, um, for all, again, for all sorts of reasons, which relate to the barriers to, to people from disadvantaged groups. And it might be because of disabilities, it might be because they have to hold down a job um, at the same time as studying. Um, it, it might be for mental health reasons. Um, it, you know, there are a whole range of reasons why people might not be the top of the class. And, you know, we're really aware that the normal way of handing out PhD scholarships is to go to the top of the list of marks and work your way down. And that misses so many people from diverse backgrounds who are, you know, fantastic um, candidates for PhDs. They're amazing candidates, but they just don't even get a look in. So we, we so we thought about all of the criteria are all on the website, um, but we thought about them quite carefully so that we could, um, it's all very well wanting to support people from minority groups, but actually actually having a process that does that was was really important to us. Um, so I'm going to ask a question, which I, I'm upset that I have to ask, but there are people who need the answer to it. What, why is it important to have? Right, okay, because... Um, you know, I, there's there's lots of research that says that the best ideas and the best solutions come up from te- come from teams who uh, are very diverse um, and and who have different ways of thinking, different ways of approaching problems. And you know, if what we do is have a, a cohort of people in physics that all look the same and think in the same way and have the same values, then we're restricting ourselves, and and we won't be the best physics community that we can be. I mean, there, there are all sorts of reasons why it's important for the individuals as well. You know, there's, there's the fundamental um, fairness arguments about giving people equal opportunities and, and understanding barriers and tackling them. So for individuals, it's really important that they have those opportunities in the same way as someone who's had a different pathway has opportunities. So, you know, that's, that's another part of it. But as a community, we should care because it really matters to us um, in terms of how successful we'll be and how innovative we'll be um, and, you know, how much we will push those those physics boundaries and that, that we want to push. You personally, you, I mean, you've, you've done all right, right? but as in your journey, have you seen the need for it? Oh, gosh, yes. So, you know, I, you're absolutely right. I've done okay. Um, I was, so I went into physics at, um, I started my degree in 1980 and I came from a a school um, where as I joined the school into the high school um, girls didn't do maths past the age of 14 because you know girls a they don't need it and b you know hey they don't like it and 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 sadly we still hear that right there was a big kerfuffle um, about people actually still saying that so you know that was 50 50 years ago 40 50 years ago um so so fighting that 
that kind of um, that kind of bias and you know whether it's unconscious or real um, has been has been absolutely um, vital. So I came from a very ordinary background. It wasn't an all girls school. Um, when I um, started my career in physics, uh, I did a maths physics degree. There were there were not many women on on that course. There were more than there were in the physics course because maths actually does better at attracting women, but nonetheless, um, uh, very few. I was the first female lecturer in physics appointed at Manchester um, in 1989, which is shocking. Yeah. Okay. It's a disgrace. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of it on the one hand, but I, I also think it's terrible on, on the other hand. Um, you know, I, I had one woman lecturer um, who, who was actually in maths, not in physics. Um, so, you know, just seeing that, that this subject is for everybody and, and so that's just gender, you know, that's just gender. Um, and so seeing that that physics is a subject for everybody has been a long-standing problem and we've done better on gender, um, but that problem is not fixed. You know, the proportion of women is still too low. But if you then look at other minority groups, um, we, we do very badly as a community, um, even against the national statistics. And we're good at doing statistics, right? We're good at working out where it is we think we should be so long as we've got the data um, but there's no way of cutting it other than say saying that you know the physics community is very good at recruiting middle-class white men and very poor at recruiting people from other backgrounds and is the bell burnell scholarship fund making a difference to that i hope so i think it is you know so um, absolutely to the individuals. We've now made 31 awards. And of course, some of them haven't yet started because we've only just um, we've only just uh, made those awards. They'll be announced fairly soon. Um, but we to, to 31 individuals. Absolutely, we have. I hope we have to more than that. I know that some universities, when they heard that we were doing this and um, said, you know, we want to put candidates forward for this, but actually we will fund them whatever, because we think this is so important. So I think there are more than that. I think um, the fact that you can see the inspiring stories of our Belbanel scholars on the website acts as, as um, you know, complete inspiration um, to, to many who read them. But, but not just that, showing that people who are a bit different, who have had to overcome struggles, can do it and will be supported in doing so. Um, I, I think, you know, that's the start of making a wider difference and and our Belbanel scholars are committed to being ambassadors for the fund so you know they're doing that in all sorts of ways um some of them are are influencing policy decisions um some of them are uh, going out and talking to schools you know some of them have podcasts so I, I think that's also really important and I hope that our process you know, one of the things we do is we ask about the suitability, we ask about the record of the supervisor and what process the university's gone through in making their selection. And in doing that, we wanted the universities to just reflect on what a supportive environment was and whether their process was fair and transparent and had sufficient flexibility to not just mire itself in you know, reproducing the same outcome as, as we've had for a very long time. And, and I've, I've spoken about the Bell Bunnell Fund and, and our, our process 
um, to to people from the states, to people uh, you know um, in different disciplines and so on. And and you know it is it is a bit of a trailblazer. It's a new way of doing things. So I I, I think it is. It's not necessarily the perfect way, but it is helping to make people reflect on. Um, you know how we build our community going forward mm. but you, not not everybody has you know dame jocelyn bell but now to give them the money to start these things up no. no they don't and so you know some universities are, are, are um you know looking at how they can have um do you mean in terms of disciplines or in terms of oh well both really because actually we can't we, we could fund loads more scholars if we had more money and the institute of physics has done a great job um, you know, adding to the pot. So, uh, and, you know, that, that's been really important to us to increase the number of awards that we can make. So it's not just a one-off static thing. Um, you know, if anyone's listening to this and wants to make a donation, that, there's a way of doing that, just get in contact with the Bell Bunnell, um Fund um, Administrators at, at, at the Institute of Physics. Um, so, so, no, not everybody does have that starting point. Um, I think universities are investing their own money in this kind of things, uh, in this kind of um, award and support. Um, there are other um, benefactors that are doing that. You know, universities do have money that that is given to them by donors. And you know, I hope that I hope that you know the processes mean I, if if there are changes in processes, maybe we we won't need to be doing this going forward. But in the meantime, the more people that, that see that there's something exciting and important that they can do here, um, you know, the better. Hopefully, as you say, people listening will want to add money to the pot. But what if people are listening and they think, well, I would like to apply to be one of yeah. the scholars? What do they do? Yeah. So our next round is um, it'll open in the in the autumn. It's all done through their, through a host university. So it's really important to start talking to someone who might be a potential supervisor as soon as possible. Um, make sure that you're eligible. You know, the eligibility criteria are on the, are on the website. Um, I've just written an article, which is in Physics World, which gives quite a bit more detail as well. And I hope that that's accessible. It's, it sort of says a bit more about what it is we're trying to do. Just to say, Helen's article is free to read now on the Physics World website physicsworld.com um, but yeah get in touch with with a prospective supervisor um, our deadlines are usually in January um, so that's our deadline but universities will have deadlines before then um, and we usually hold I mean I'm sure we'll do it again but every November we have a Q&A session which is just open to anybody whether it's supervisors postgraduate admissions tutors students themselves um, to come along to and just ask questions ask anything that they're curious about um so so i would advise people but the first thing is you know look for a supervisor uh supervisor is really important the supervisor student relationship is really important um if you're one of the people who um would be looking for a top-up award obviously you've already got a supervisor um you still need to be put forward by your university so just check the process and, and eligibility. And we're happy to answer any questions anytime. Um, there's an email address for, for the Bell Burnell Fund on, on the Institute of Physics website. Um, you know, please do get in touch if you've got any questions. We're happy to try and help. I'd just like to say, you know, uh, the Institute have really put themselves behind this. 
You know, they've given great support, not just to administering um, the, the initial gift and, and, and working working that through, but also the fundraising that they're doing um, so that we can make double the number of awards each year that we could make in, in the first year. OK, so that's made a, a huge difference. But but also to the committee who work alongside me, um, you know, they're silent in the background. Um, they're, they're hugely important to, to, to so that we can constantly reflect on whether we've got things as right as we can they put a lot of work into assessing the applications and and, and then going through through uh, the interview process and of course they do that as volunteers and you know it, it's it it is a privilege to do it I'll say that from my own personal perspective but nonetheless it's work and I'm very grateful to all of them for giving up their time for doing that As it stands, just 17% of members of the Institute of Physics identify as female. For men and women who are black, LGBTQIA+, have a disability, or from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, membership rates are even more out of step with the rest of the population. Joanna Sikowska is a physicist who has been successful in being accepted onto the Bell Burnell Graduate Fund. Joanna says that in physics, she's a minority, as a Polish immigrant, as a woman, and coming from a working-class background. I'm Joanna. I'm a third-year astrophysics student at the University of Surrey. I specialise in something called galactic archaeology. I focus on uh, something called um, local group galaxies, in particular the Magellanic Clouds. These are galaxies that you can see, maybe not from the northern hemisphere where we are, but from the southern hemisphere. Um, that you can see them with a naked eye. So they really are quite in close touch to us. And so they're really a beautiful place to study galaxy formation and evolution because it can resolve every single star with big fancy telescopes and really study their chemistry and um, their ages and really understand how this galaxy has formed and evolved over the last 12 billions of years. When I was a child, I uh, always wanted to know how things work. And that sort of childlike curiosity I think when you get older, the childlike curiosity starts to sort of be applied to things like school and uh, and physics and how do things around me work and then how do things up there work and you just keep going and keep going and keep going and suddenly you're you interested in how the universe works. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's uh, that, I think that's how it started really with me. I kept going and uh, I found physics at school really, really interesting. Super cool. Astrophysics was so awesome. I think the pretty pictures always helped with astrophysics. And, you know, I found it difficult at school. I found it a bit uh, challenging, I think is the word. But I I just kept going because I, I kind of listened to, you know, what my heart is saying, which is this feels right. I really enjoy this and I really want to pursue it. Are there many pretty pictures involved in what you're doing at the moment? Luckily, yes. Uh, I use optical telescopes. So I study the light we see. I resolve 20 billion stars in a small galaxy called uh, the Small Magellanic Cloud. And yes, there are pretty pictures guaranteed. I think most of my time, though, is trying to um, write codes to study these pictures better. But uh, yes, I, I think I've sort of made that natural bridge between what made me curious in the first place versus where I am at now. Are there particular telescopes that you're using? Yes, I use a dark energy camera in um, Chile. It's a four-meter telescope, and you might have heard of the Dark Energy Survey, where it's all... 
it's all tied to this idea of dark energy. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of applications of these telescopes, right? So, so this telescope, um, it's a ground-based telescope, and it has an excellent view of the Magellanic Clouds in the, in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, in Chilean desert, where you can really see these things so beautifully. How did you get interested in that then? I remember when I was uh, applying for PhD positions, it's, it's like the job market. It's quite difficult to find a PhD position. And I, I, I was sure I really wanted this, but there was also a lot of doubt in the back of my mind, which was, you know, is this really right for me? It's quite a, it's quite a big risk, high reward scenario here. And um, I, it's, it so happened that the person that I was sort of working with, because at the time I was sort of on a, on like a master's, well, I was on an integrated master's, I was on like a placement, and the person that looked after me on that placement, she um, was at my my university, she got to sort of talk to me once and kind of get to know me a bit better, and then and she really encouraged me to apply for the Bell Burnell Graduate Scholarship Fund. And at the time I thought, oh, you know, this is crazy, like I, I don't qualify for this stuff, like I, I'm used to like, you know, not really never going for it like I, I I don't really apply to things because I just sort of have that mindset of you know that why would they choose me why were they all that stuff so I I remember getting an email and just dismissing it completely uh but she 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 you know she she pushed me for it she pushed me for it uh and we applied together and she yeah she was uh she helped me out a lot with it and uh we, we got the scholarship uh, so it was really an amazing thing to, you know putting all the the, the financial stuff aside it's it's really nice to have that recognition of hey you've done it you know I've I'm quite used to sort of I've never won anything at school uh, I was quite used to sort of just trying to keep up with everything I I found physics difficult not because I was you know not not working hard enough it's just I, I just found it difficult it's a hard subject and I think I was I grew up in a sort of a household or like a mindset, you know, if you're not really naturally good at something, maybe it's not really great for you. You know, you're not an Einstein kind of thing. And I think this kind of mindset is about physics. Let's put it this way. You know, you're not, yeah, you're not an Einstein. You're not a smart male guy. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you're, you're just yourself. Do you still have that mindset? I think I'm very lucky now that with the Bell Burnell Fund, there is a community of people who are different yet alike. We're quite alike in our sort of experiences of being a, a, a diverse person in physics or maybe not fitting the mould or the classical mould of a person doing physics. And I think being in that community and sharing our experiences, although unique, they are, they are the same. And so... I'd like to say that this mindset is, uh, when I think about it, it has helped a lot with this mindset of, you know, we don't really fit in or maybe you're not really good enough to do this physics stuff, you know, it's, so I, I like to say that I don't think like that anymore and it's helped me a lot, but I can't say for sure. When you look around the physics community today, does it look like you don't fit in? Personally, I must say, I think I'm really lucky because at least the physics department where I am at, at my university, I think it's one of the most, I think from, from speaking to other people, it's very diverse. It is very diverse. I think everyone is made very well, feel, made to feel very welcome. But there are definitely departments where, or, you know, people who I've met who just 
don't quite yeah you, you see that difference between between you two it's it's there is a difference but i think it's, it is getting much better i think there's a lot of progress happening you know it's it's the best way i can describe it is a bit of a butterfly effect right where you have a butterfly flattered its wings and when you know it just keeps going so hopefully that will keep going for the next 10 or 20 years to come but i think things have definitely improved but there is still work to do there is still work to do do you think that that improvement is related to the bell Burnell graduate prize yes i can definitely see that making a difference um i know that one of the criterias for the fund is that they're they are really interested in seeing what the supervisory t- team is like and obviously if you're not really in a supervisory team that understands these diverse things then you're not really going to be able to to um sort of fit fit the ethos of what the fund is about i think it, i think the fund has really helped trying to bridge the gap i think sort of awareness of this these issues in this community and and the fact that um you know Jocelyn Belbonel herself, she felt like an outcast when she was doing her PhD and look at where she is now, you know, these these kind of reminders are very needed in the community. And I think the fund really helps with these reminders. Do you meet often? Yes, we meet at least once a year. Um, obviously with COVID it was more difficult, uh, but uh, at least once a year. And it's it's very nice to share these experiences during these these sessions. We also have a little chat, uh, me and the other awardees of ARIA, we have a little chat so we can discuss sort of how things are going on our end and support each other if need be. But uh, I think, yeah, I think the lunch, I think this, that committee has been successful. There is also a bit of an online presence. Uh, I've definitely been part of that. So that's been great. So yes, I, I think, the, yeah, I think the community does support itself. Are there any downsides? to the to the scheme i want to say the scheme should accept more people but i think that's completely fair and i think that's with every scheme so i remember when we first started because i was part of the first cohort so it was very much fresh and very much trying to work things out i think a lot of us really wanted to do more outreach stuff ourselves and have the scheme to give us a platform to do it but because of covid of course this was more difficult things got a bit dropped so I, I know that um, a lot of us have had ideas on, yeah, like I said, like diversity, like um, perhaps local stuff, but uh, it would be nice if the scheme sort of tried to support that or maybe dire- maybe had a bit more sessions on um, helping bring your diversity ideas or diversity experiences to the community, you know, through, through helping you advise you on how to establish mentoring platforms or any other idea you may have some kind of advisory thing going on there i know we really try to do things as as an as ambassadors of the fund to help diversity in uh, in our respective areas but it's been quite difficult with you know recovering from all of the, the stuff of the last few years yeah no fair enough you're in this community do you look at what the other graduates and are looking at researching and think oh that's interesting Yes, for sure. In astronomy, for sure. Um, actually, I met with one of the other awardees at a conference last year that looks at exoplanets. And that is something I've never had any exposure to, just because of the natural way my, um, my, my department just doesn't really look at exoplanets. And so that was really interesting to hear about her work, for example, read about her work on her website. Of course, we'll post a link to that website on the Physics World website, physicsworld.com, in the article associated with this podcast episode where you can read about those exoplanets and all the other work being done 
by the successful graduates in the Bell Burnell Graduate Fund. But I wondered, once this PhD is out of the way, what's next for Joanna? Three years is sort of the standard funding for everybody. And then you have six more months as an extension you can apply to. Um, I'm definitely going to apply for that because I, I must say, I think COVID affected a lot of um, people's supervisory teams. This definitely happened with me for sure, you know, trying to figure out how to work with somebody over distance and, you know, things that I, I tend to be quite stubborn. So if I had like a problem in in my work, I, I really try and work on it for a few days, trying to solve it myself because, you know, I'm not, I don't really want to bother the other person. But when I think it's very normal to ask for help and, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that's made easier when you're not over distance, for example. So the six months, then you might go to industry or stay in academia? I am definitely considering both options. I would like to stay in astronomy. I think that I am now, because of the fund, because of the awareness of EDI and diversity, I'm quite, I'm, I, I feel quite equipped to stay in astronomy because I feel quite equipped with the knowledge of what's normal and what's just not acceptable in treatment of you know everyone in this in this um in this field for example you know if there's a whole thing about pay gap for example uh i'm quite well versed now in you know what's 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 normal about you know i'm i'm quiet uh, i feel like i my confidence has been quite boosted by this fund for sure so i know that it, applying for things now is a good thing i think i never used to apply for anything i used to feel quite disheartened about doing it and i never really did it uh, I feel like now looking back on my PhD journey, I've definitely applied for a lot of talks, a lot of summer schools, a lot of conferences, and they have been successful. And I don't think I would have done that if I was never really pushed by somebody to say, you know, you should apply for this. And I say, you know, why? I mean, I don't I don't think I stand a chance, but just do it. And it just, it just works out on its own. You know, you don't get it, you don't get it. But if you do, great. You don't get anything, it's not a reflection of you. There's also options outside of academia, and it's important to respect that uh, you don't have to stay in one job all your life. And if you decide that academia is not for you anymore, because academia is a bit of a funny system, right? It's not the job security isn't always there, and the salary doesn't always match your working hours, for example. And it's so many factors at play. It's you are not a failure if you want to leave academia and go into industry. So really, it's it's okay. Just a quick aside, speaking as somebody who's moved from industry into academia, you're not necessarily a failure if you move the other way, at least I hope. Anyway, back to Joanna. If somebody was thinking of applying to the Bell Burnell Graduate Fund, what would you say to them? But that question always catches me off guard because I just never, it's such a personal thing, I feel like. And I feel like it's quite important to, when writing these statements, really dig into your reasons for why you have done done the things you have done because I feel like a lot of people I feel like a lot of people brush aside their achievements or brush aside their difficult experiences and stay modest and that's okay but when applying for things you want to these people have no idea about all these things you really should look at everything you've achieved and state every single thing because it's so easy to just sort of forget about the good stuff and it's so easy to focus on maybe negatives and be hard on yourself but but I would say make sure you really just just 
think about everything you've achieved. Even if you think it's small, it, it might really be consequential. It might really matter. Brilliant. Yeah. Lots of people struggle with the old, you know, blowing your own trumpet thing. But th that's the moment to do it, right? Yeah, when you're for applying sure. for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think my, my pers from personal experience, my supervisor is very good at that. I think she she's very good at encouraging people to write about this and that. You know, whenever I, I write something and I give it to her and she knows my achievements better and well, better. Well, she knows my achievements uh, well in the PhD. She always adds in things. And I just think, wow, that was, I thought I was very inconsequential, but obviously it mattered. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, my supervisor is female as well. So it's quite nice to have that role model. I think the I think the fund the the requirement to have a good supervisory team that's aware of EDI has really helped me personally because it made sure I chose the right supervisor for my own background or life experiences. But I think a lot of people there isn't much choice sometimes when they have when they're applying for PhDs and they have to go with what they have and so they might fall into the wrong supervisory team and they're not really aware of this and so it's a bit too late. I'd like to thank Helen Gleason and Joanna Sikowska for talking to me for this episode of the podcast. And if you'd like to hear more of that interview from the Physics World Weekly podcast with Jocelyn Bell Burnell, you'll find a link to it alongside the article for this episode of the Physics World Stories podcast on physicsworld.com. We'll be back next month when we'll be looking at how artificial intelligence is changing physics and the role of the physicist, bringing exciting opportunities, but also developments to be wary of. For this month, though, I'd like to leave the last word to Joanna Sikowska. I look at different kinds of stars, different ages, different metallicity. I, I focus on something called stellar populations. And in my head, it's quite fascinating that uh, stars are so different, so unique, and they all make up a whole galaxy. And I find it a really pretty bridge between what I'm passionate about, which is diversity, and then my work, which is big diversity of stars, right? And analyzing every single one of them and they're all just so important because then you can see how how this galaxy is formed over time and it's a complete picture well if you miss out a certain kind of star certain kind of population sort of certain age a certain certain type then that picture is not complete physics world